Health Matters with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you and welcome to this week's edition of Health Matters. On the show this evening, I'll be joined in our Johannesburg studio by Dr. Jacques Snemon, Clinical Advisor for Resolution Health Medical Scheme and Managing Director of Integrated Care Solutions at Agility, owner of the Zuriel Program, as well as by Dr. Jackie Joubert, Managing Director of Agility's Employee Wellbeing Solutions, called Zuriel for Employers. And we'll be asking that all-important question, are modern women too busy to be healthy? Well, I don't know about you, but uh, let's think about that one. Dr. Simone Honickman will be on the line a little later, and we'll be talking about the Perinatal Mental Health Project. And finally, Sister Anne Richardson, specialist nurse practitioner, author and parent coach will be joining us. And I suggest that all of you who are either new parents or who are about to become new parents, stay tuned for this one because we'll be talking about sleep solutions for your babies. Well, I really wish I'd had this opportunity back in the day when I was battling with a baby with sleep issues. And just a reminder that there's now a list of available documents for Health Matters. Just go to the Facebook page, Health Matters on SAFM. And if you'd like any of them, post a message on Facebook, but please do remember to include your email address so I can send them to you. If you don't have access to Facebook, drop me an email to healthmatters at safm.co.za and I'll send you the list and then you can choose which of the documents you'd like me to pass on to you. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. Health Matters with Karen Key. Well, with August being Women's Month, I thought it would be a good time to chat about women and our health. Well, we're so busy looking after everyone else that the question comes up about whether modern day women are too busy to be healthy. Well, are you? Well, I definitely think we need some help here. So I'm joined this evening by Dr. Jacques Snemann, Clinical Advisor for Resolution Health Medical Scheme and Managing Director of Integrated Care Solutions at Agility, owner of the Zuriel Program, and Dr. Jackie Joubert, Managing Director of Agility's Employee Wellbeing Solutions, Zuriel for Employees. Sorry, for Employers. Dr. Jacques Snemann and Dr. Jackie Joubert, I hope you're in Joburg. Good evening. Welcome to the show. Hello there. Are you with me? Oh dear, we seem to be having a problem connecting with our Johannesburg studio, but uh, we'll certainly have them on the line in a moment. And we're going to be talking, as I mentioned, about modern day women being too busy to be healthy. And it's one of those things, you know, we're always so worried about everybody else. And on the show, if you are a regular listener, you'll know I'm always going on about men and their health. And I often talk about the fact that up until the age of about 17 or 18, at the top limit, men or boys are going to the doctor because why? Mothers are taking them and then they seem to fall off. Doctors talk about not seeing them again until they're about almost 30-ish when the wives start taking them to the doctors. So we seem to be very busy taking everybody else to the doctor but we don't seem to be taking ourselves there. You know it's that like that old analogy they talk about being on an aeroplane and you know if you need to put the oxygen mask on always put it on yourself first because you, if you can't help anybody else you know there's no point in, in, in being there, basically. So put the oxygen mask on yourself first and then help everybody else. It's the same with our health. We need to keep ourselves healthy so that we can help our families and especially our men who, as we all know, as I've just said, need our help to get themselves sorted out, especially when it comes to medical issues. And uh, while we're waiting for ourselves to uh, connect up with Johannesburg, we'll just be taking a little break and we'll be back with you in a moment. For interviews and analysis that move markets, politicians and the nation, listen to SAFM Current Affairs 
Five boys from Elsie's River had been swept out to sea on a small floating barge of barrels. Three managed to swim and reach the shore, but two of the teenagers disappeared underwater. For more on this now, we're joined on the line by the NSRI spokesperson Craig Lemnon. Craig, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Bongi. Talking to the other three survivors, uh, the three boys who made it to the shore, what are they telling you about that? They were taken to hospital for observation for secondary drowning. They all appeared to be okay, but just as a precautionary measure, they were taken to hospital for observation. They were also counselled by police counsellors. They have all been released from hospital and returned to their family. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Sick of always missing your favourite SAFM shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free podcast service that allows you to access them directly from your cell phone, PC or tablet, whenever and wherever you're ready to listen. Go to safm.co.za and click on podcast. This takes you to the SAFM page on iono.fm. Follow at iono.fm on Twitter or like it on Facebook for regular updates. You never have to miss your favorite shows. SAFM podcasts powered by iono.fm. It is said, behind every successful man, there is a woman. In the past 20 years, women have taken their stand in society, parliament, and in business. We talk about Nkosa Zanadlamini Zuma, Helen Suzman, Tu Lima Donzela, and Jill Marcus, to name a few. SAFM celebrates 20 years of inspiring women. SAFM, let's have the conversation. Well, we still seem to be having a problem connecting with our Johannesburg studio, but uh, in the meantime, we'll have some music. It's Queen with Somebody to Love.
well, let's hope we are now connected with Johannesburg. But as I was saying earlier, with August being Women's Month, I thought it would be a good time to chat about women and our health. We're so busy looking after everyone else that the question comes up about whether modern-day women are too busy to be healthy. Well, are you? Well, I think we definitely need some help on this one, so I'm joined this evening, hopefully this time, by Dr. Jacques Sneeman, Clinical Advisor for Resolution Health Medical Scheme and Managing Director of Integrated Care Solutions at Agility, owner of the Zuriel Program, and Dr. Jackie Joubert, Managing Director of Agility's Employee Wellbeing Solutions, Zuriel for Employers. Dr. Sneeman, Dr. Joubert, can you hear me now? Yes, yes, we can. Oh, yes, well, we that's can. so good to be able to hear you. Well, we talk about women being too busy to be healthy. And as I was talking while we were waiting to get through to you in Johannesburg, the fact that we're so busy worrying about everybody else and making sure that our children and our husbands are healthy and running around with work and running the home, we don't seem to take much care of ourselves. Yes, that is absolutely true. And I think it's very appropriate during this month to talk about women's health. And with women's health, we also need to incorporate women's wellness because there definitely is a difference between the two. And it's also necessary for us to understand that difference in order to be able to manage risks, to understand what's happening within ourselves and also our positioning within our families, our work, our home life, and to establish a balance between all the permutations in one's life. I think one of the problems, though, about modern day life is the fact that we never seem to be able to switch off because that cell phone, that whatever it is, it finds you everywhere. You can't actually leave and get away from anything. So work, if you need to be contacted, they can always find you these days. They couldn't in the past. Yes, that's quite right. But, you know, I think one of the major aspects to address nowadays if you want to look at your wellness especially women and the the demands that are made on women nowadays is you've got to take a break from technology for a period of time on a daily basis for a short period just not be involved with technology if at all possible because technology really rules our lives nowadays and we need that and we've become addicted to that And um, on the other hand, technology also is the culprit in causing stress and being a major stressor in our lives. The problem, though, is that for many years we've always wanted to be super mom, you know, try and do everything and think we can cope with everything. And I think it's quite hard to shed that image now. You know, we want to sort of keep going that we multitask and we can do everything. And I think a lot of the time we're just forcing ourselves to do more to prove a point. I I agree with you, and I think in doing that, we compromise various aspects of our lifestyle. We compromise sleep, we compromise diet, we compromise exercise, we compromise um, the so-called me time, and that is where the basis of our problems lie. I don't know. Dr. Snowman, what is your idea about this? Well, Jackie, I agree with you if uh, you don't make time for those sort of very important aspects in every balanced life you, you you definitely will suffer those consequences and we we know that uh, uh, a lifestyle without exercise with improper diet leads to uh, typical diseases of of lifestyle diabetes high blood pressure and so forth yes. so you set yourself up the problem is, though, that we run around with our children making sure they do their sport or going to their whatever matches they're doing, and they're, they're getting all this exercise, and we're sitting around on the sidelines watching them. We should be making time for ourselves. But, Dr. Snaman, what should we be doing at least once a year? We should be going for a general checkup. What should we be focusing on when we go for this checkup? 
Yeah, the checkup is, a, is, is sort of a test. It's a it's a, f- a fleeting test within in, in time. So um, it, it should it should be more regular. It should be part and parcel of the entire lifestyle issue. So yes, it's good to go for a regular checkup. Have your blood pressure, cholesterol, and sugar tested. Uh, and and the problem is that if it's all correct, then you're quite happy with that, and you think it's 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 fine. I, I can now wait another year, still do nothing, still overeat, and it I'll be fine. So one needs to get into a regular habit of saying, well, if there's nothing wrong, what can I do about that? Uh, do something, uh, take some corrective action. And and for instance, if you've just got diagnosed with high blood pressure, exercise does wonders of lowering blood pressure. Even if you're on medication, it, it, it still drops it a bit further. So we're looking at doing, it's, it's not a case of, well, I'll just try and be good once a year and go for my checkup. You have to maintain this healthy lifestyle throughout the year. It's very difficult, though, because for especially for women who are juggling all these different things, we have to make a concerted effort to change the way we live. I think we have to address our attitudes and our perceptions about what is healthy. Um, We've become so entangled with with misconceptions about health, and a lot a lot has to do with our own attitudes, with where we want to position ourselves. That we don't, we, that we lose we lose track of what is actually important. We lose track of putting priorities um, in front of us and objectives in front of us of what do I want to reach with my lifestyle. Um, and if we reprioritize and we look at our health and our wellness as a primary um, priority and not just a secondary priority that flows from everything else, then I think our ap- attitudes and perceptions will change. And also our fears and anxieties. You know, we, very often when we, wa- when we have new knowledge about where we stand with ourselves, our bodies, our health, and that now includes emotional health, mental health, physical health. Um, we sit with new knowledge, and what do I do with it? The moment I have new knowledge, I've got the responsibility of managing that. And that is very important, especially when you need to juggle every, th- every aspect between home, work, driving kids to sport events, etc., um, what do I do with the new knowledge that I gain from going for my checkups, going for my for my um, visits at my GP, and um, yeah, in, in integrating that into my lifestyle and my day-to-day living. Dr. Snellman, the, the one I mentioned at the beginning that you were a clinical advisor for Resolution Health. And the thing about medical schemes these days is they actually are offering or they're rewarding healthy behavior. So, you know, there's there's almost sweetening the pot a little bit. That is correct. Um, I think most of the medical schemes have some preventative benefit. And I think the government's also driving very hard for us to to take up preventative benefits within the medical scheme environment, but also within the government environment where you want patients to go or or not necessarily uh, Patients, but everybody to go for a regular checkup, take your vaccines, make sure that your blood pressure is fine, make sure that you, your glu- glucose, cholesterol and so forth, um, body mass index is all fine. The, the, the issue is that people just simply don't make time to go for those type of checkups, although they've all been paid for, it's all set up for you and you don't have to really do anything about that. It's... Uh, um, uh, with other words, with little effort, you can have it done at at your local pharmacy or your general practitioner, but the the take up of that is generally not good. 
So as hard as you try as a medical scheme to make it all that much more convenient and easy for us to do, we're still not doing it. Is that what you're saying, basically? <laughs> basically, that's correct. <laughs> you <yes>. can't win. <laughs> well, we, some, some medical schemes even put incentives towards that in order to, to, to make sure that you really go. Uh, you get rewards, points or, or a type of rewards purely because you've done the correct thing. Okay, so maybe we should look into that a little more because we always like something for free, you know. Well, it's not really for free, but we think it's for free. So, you know, we always like that. So let's encourage our own selves to do that. But Dr. Snaman as well, as far as family history goes, you know, you also need to be very aware of what your family history is. So if you know that there's something in the family, you need to take extra special care and have yourself checked up even more often. Absolutely. I, I think one, one, one tends to neglect that and one needs to, specifically if you look at cardiovascular diseases where there's a definite a, a correlation between um, <coughs> lifestyle and, uh, and also then the, the, the subsequent uh, diseases that may develop and has developed within your family. And if you follow then the same lifestyle, the chances are that you're going to suffer the same type of diseases more or less at the same age. And, and therefore people ne- need to heed to that type of knowledge and, and do something about it. And it's, it's, it's so easy, I think, a lot of the time to stick your head under a rock and pretend it's not going to happen to you. Well, we can see it in our friends <laughs> around us. <laughs> so it's not going to happen to me. It's never going to happen to me. I'll just ignore it. And that's the worst thing you possibly can do. Rather be safe than sorry and have yourself checked out. Correct. You know, it's, it's usually an issue of just going for a checkup. The problem is I, I also think that patient or people don't want to hear the, mm. st- the other side and that they, so, they're so afraid of getting the bad news. And, and, and the thing is that the earlier we di- determine what is wrong, we can also do something, take some corrective ac- action. And some of the corrective action may be, yes, the hard lifestyle pull, the one that means that you need to get up in front from the TV and, and, and go and, and, and do a bit of walking, running, jogging. Or, or just cut down on the carbohydrates or fats and so forth and have a healthy diet. Dr. Hubert, the one thing, though, in women listening to this now are thinking, oh, but it's such an effort now. You know, I haven't done anything for so long, and I, it's, it's really just going to be way too much. But you've got to start somewhere. And you, even if you make a small change to start with, that's at least a start, and you can work from there. Yes, I agree with you. And I think a very important issue to start with is what is my ritual when I get up in the mornings, what do I start my day with? And um, that is coming back to my attitude and, and the perceptions about what is healthy and what my lifestyle entails. You know, we, we, we mentioned just now that everybody, all the mothers and the working career ladies are over-engaged in everything that they do. And over-engagement is a very dangerous thing because it accumulates and accumulates and stress becomes distress. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a bit of stress. It's good for one to have a bit of stress. But when stress becomes distress, you are heading for a burnout. And a burnout is a very dangerous thing. It's you become disengaged, you become listless, there's a loss, loss of hope. And that is where it all culminates if you don't address the problem and if you don't manage it. And to have an action plan and to stick to that action plan, which Dr. Snyman also said, um, that is where the discipline comes in. That is absolute and essential priority to set for every working mom, stay-home mom, I- any woman who wants to take care of her wellness and her well-being. 
My favorite analogy is the one of the oxygen mask in an airplane, you know, when they fall out from the roof. The first one you should put on is not on the person next to you. Put it on yourself because then you're more able to help everybody else once you've got the oxygen. And it's the same in this case. Whereas if you're not healthy, you're not going to be able to run around with your children and run your home and do whatever you need to do. You need to look after yourself first. That's right. And um, also what we mentioned just now, the, the anxiety that is attached to that is also something that can lead to depression. And once you're in that cycle of depression, it's very difficult to get out of it. Then you need various interventions from from different points of entry in order to assist and support you in that process. And it's not good for you. It's not good for your family. And where did it all start? It started with neglecting one's well-being, neglecting one's health, physical, mental, emotional, a total incorporated um, paradigm that one should address on a daily basis, really. Which a lot of us think we possibly thought we were doing for the benefit of everybody else around us by not taking too much notice about ourselves. You know, we'll sort ourselves out later. But, you know, you need to look after yourself. Otherwise, there isn't going to be a later for you to look after anybody else. Dr. um, Snaman, your suggestions for women to make a start. What should we get up tomorrow morning and then what? Yes, it's easy to preach, but uh, very difficult to do. We need some help. (laughs) I think Jackie touched on that, and that is to to make sure that what what you want to do is that you aim for the correct achievable goals and that you work them into your daily routine. If you're not a gym person, you're not going to turn into a gym person tomorrow. But uh, rapid walking, a bit of jogging, uh, can do wonders if it's done on a regular basis. And within your program, surely you can fit some some sort of exercise uh, during a a week. And you look at targeting at least three to four times a week for about a half an hour, that that has been demonstrated to 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 achieve a significant level of fitness and that and when i say significant it means that it it starts reducing stress levels and it also impacts on 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 those lifestyle diseases simultaneously with that of course one needs to always watch your diet uh, i think obesity in south africa is has picked up dramatically the last 20 years the easy the, the more accessible food we look at uh, generations becoming heavier and heavier and so I think a, a really balanced healthy diet is something that everybody should uh, look at and, and surely that is not too difficult within a daily routine to fit in as well and one needs to really put some thought into that. You know, a lot of times people want to start off and think, well, I'll jog five kilometers tomorrow morning. Now, you might never have jogged in your life, and you're going no. to get a little way down the road and think, actually, no, this is way too much stress. I'm not even going to keep doing this. I can't do this. Maybe start off by taking the stairs or instead of the lift or something small just to start with and get yourself into that mindset. I think that's where you should actually begin. Dr. Jabe, you think that's literally just take small steps initially? That is very important. And um, something that must not be underestimated is the role model that a mother plays for her children. We must take control of our well-being from a very early age. It's a lifelong process. It's not just a mere event. Um, and that, that comes back to how do I view myself, how do I position myself in my own well-being. It's, it's really an active process of becoming aware of your own well-being so it's active you've got to participate you've got to think about your thinking it's not it 
just it doesn't just come by itself it's a process so it's not just a singular event that you can say well I jogged today so well good for me I jogged it's a process of participating in a plan that you set yourself and a goal that you set yourself and getting your kids involved from an early age it is a lifelong process it must start at an early age and then one will reap the benefits at a later stage in life so maybe we should make ourselves a star chart. You know, we always made them for the children. If you did this, you did that, you got a star. Maybe we should make ourselves a star chart for our exercise and our healthy living. Maybe we can put it up in the kitchen and keep track of ourselves. Yes. And one must also be informed about the risks if you don't do that. Mm. And um, I think there a lot of knowledge is lacking in the general public. What are my risks if I don't do that? You know, you, d- you don't think about that when you're younger. Um, you tend to focus on other things. You tend to prioritize um, other things in life. But if you are uninformed about the risks of not participating and not viewing this as an active process, then um, how do you manage something that you are not aware of? So reading and finding out what are the risks, the lifestyle risks of not being well and not looking after my health, that is a, a very good starting point in your mind. Well, I hope we've got ourselves all starting off on the right track now. We've, I've given you, well, Dr. Jabeur and Dr. Snaman have given us some ideas of how to be start and what we should be doing with ourselves. And in this Women's Month, maybe we should consider taking care of ourselves. We can still take care of all of those around us, but we also need to make a priority of our own health. Dr. Snaman, Dr. Jabeur, thank you both very much indeed for joining us on the show. And I do apologize for the problem we had at the beginning of the show. Thank you, thank very, you much. very much. Dr. Jacques Snehman is Clinical Advisor for Resolution Health Medical Scheme and Managing Director of Integrated Care Solutions at Agility, owner of the Zuriel Program. And Dr. Jackie Jaber is Managing Director of Agility's Employee Wellbeing Solutions called Zuriel for Employers. For more information on Zuriel, which is spelled Z-U-R-R-E-A-L, you can take a look at zuriel.co.za. Karen Key. While maternal mental health, mental illness affects 10 to 15 percent of women in developed countries, prevalence is almost 40 percent in South Africa. That's incredibly high. Most of the women in South Africa who experience maternal mental illness are poor from disadvantaged communities who face many challenges in accessing health services and treatment. The Perinatal Mental Health Project is the only project of its kind in Africa and one of a handful in the developing world. Dr. Simone Honickman is the director of the project. Dr. Honickman, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hello, good evening. Thanks. It's great to be here, Karen. So tell me a little bit about this project, the Perinatal Mental Health Project. Tell me about that. We've been operating now for 12 years. Um, We're based in Cape Town at the University of Cape Town. And um, we have four programs. We operate some clinical services in in three midwife obstetric units where we provide mental health care to, to pregnant and postnatal women. We train health workers and um, social development workers and community workers. Uh, we're involved in research um, and in advocacy work with, with an overall mission to, to, for, for the state to be able to take mental health care um, to scale so that every single woman in South Africa can access mental health care at the same time as she accesses public services for, for her for herself or her baby around her pregnancy. 
Now, I'm not sure that people are aware that, that when you talk about dealing with mental health problems as far as the project is concerned, it's associated with things like gender-based violence, teen pregnancy, HIV, AIDS, substance misuse, refugee status, impaired bonding. I mean, the list just goes on, and it's not what we would normally associate with a mental illness. But exactly. I mean, we're looking at the common mental disorders around pregnancy which are depression and anxiety and 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 the reason why we have such a high prevalence in South Africa I think is because so many of those risk factors that you've just mentioned are present in our women's lives and so many of our women experience several of these risk factors at the same time so for instance if you um, have HIV you are in a you are in a position where you are much more vulnerable to experiencing um, depression and anxiety, especially around pregnancy, where there are other issues to to address and and deal with. Um, Women with HIV are more vulnerable to experiencing violence. Um, And violence itself places women at an increased risk of of mental health problems. Um, And mental health problems, on the other hand, place women at increased risk of experiencing violence. So we have these overlapping vicious circles of, of risk factors um, for mental health problems and mental health problems, in fact, being a risk for, for, for other problems such as violence um, and HIV. You talk about violence and the relation between violence and the mental illness. And one of your projects is actually based in Cape Town here in Hanover Park, which has one of the highest rates of attempted murder, drug and firearm-related crimes in the Western Cape. I mean, there's gang activity. It's really not the most pleasant place to live at all. And, I mean, the women and and young girls there must be under tremendous stress. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I think we're speaking about trauma um, in the people, in women's homes as well as on the streets. And um, we have found that post-traumatic stress disorder, which is one of the anxiety disorders, is is incredibly common in that group of women. in in Hanover Park and colleagues we've worked with um, in Hanover Park have in fact mentioned that it's less of an issue of post-traumatic stress disorder and more of a matter of chronic trauma that our women in our setting are experiencing trauma on a chronic basis it's not as if there's one off terrible incident that's happening there are repeated episodes of trauma in these women's lives which make them extremely vulnerable to mental health problems and then when women are experiencing mental health problems they are less likely to be able to manage the difficult situations in which they find themselves so when we address their depression and anxiety by working on their self-esteem their sense of agency by working with them um, to problem solve effectively we hope that we're able to to um, allow women to, to, to make plans that are, are going to impact on their environment in a healthy way for them and their children. How do you actually cope with working in an area like that? Because you're working with these women, but they're not, I mean, we talk about post-traumatic stress. There's no post about it. It hasn't exactly. happened and now it's finished. It's ongoing. And these women are trying to live in this environment on a continual basis, you yeah. working with them, how does that work? Because you, the more you work with them, I mean, they're, they're experiencing this ongoing violence all the time. Yeah. Well, we're hoping that we're making small steps towards empowering, empowering them within those situations. So we're seeing women who are 
involved themselves in gang activity or who have partners who are involved in gang activity and violence. Um, and we find that when we are able to work on their mental health status and and be able to work with them to to manage relationships in a more healthy way and in a more assertive way, a way that looks after themselves, they are able to make some quite substantial shifts within those relationships and within themselves. So a healthier woman is more able to, to complete schooling if she's, if she's a, still in school, and a lot of our women are teenagers. She's more likely to apply for a job and get employment and have an income stream therefore be less dependent on a partner who may be abusive. So there, there are a whole set of chain reactions that can happen when one, for, for, posi- for the positive good when one works on the mental well-being of a, of a mother, even within those traumatic situations. Now, all of this work that you're doing, I mean, I'm just sitting here wondering, how do you fund all of this? It's an ongoing strain for us. <laughs> um, we um, are entirely soft-funded within the university and what that means that funny term is that we are required to to raise all our income ourselves so we unfortunately have to put a lot of effort into into raising that that money so we have a, a, a significant fundraising effort for that and and we are funded by generous donors um abroad and and within south africa um within the corporate sector, within the philanthropic foundations and family trust sector. We have some research funding. Um, The Department of Social Development is now funding us to do some work with with social workers who are involved with child protection. Um, But we are constantly needing enough to meet our budget. Um, Because we we have such a big footprint, we have a, a budget that 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 is that is substantial and we we need to to raise money all the time so so any donations that we can that we can garner um are are hugely valuable for us i looked at your website is this what you call the circle of support yeah well we we're trying to raise funds through um a project called circles of support where on the one hand we're hoping that people would be able to support us through through this blog um even on a regular basis, small amounts on a regular basis we find do accumulate. We're hoping that people can develop their own circle, so a circle of 10 friends who can sacrifice, say, one cappuccino um, a day or a week over periods of months accumulates that same value if one were to put that 20 rand um, per day or 20 rand per week into, into our fund. And if, 10, if one could get 10 friends to do that, that circle of support um, would have ripple effects um, for, for our project. We're also hoping that bigger donors will, will get excited by the fact that, they, that we're partnering um, with other big funders and join our circles to support us in, in that way. And just to let people know just how amazing the work is that you are doing, this project has actually been formally commended by the World Health Organization. Yes, we were quite pleased to get that little certificate. That's which amazing. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, and we've had, um, yeah, we've had the most wonderful opportunity to work with the WHO and inform some of their, their policy and guidelines documents at, at um, delivering mental health care in, in low-resource settings um, through, through partnerships with the research consortium that we're involved with um, 
and and also just on our own um we've had we've had that opportunity um there's some great folk there um, and it's been great to be able to have some kind of international cross-pollination of ideas um, and, and work. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, this is the only project of its kind in Africa. And obviously, b- listening to what you're talking about, I mean, it's an enormous undertaking and it requires a lot of funding and people involved. And do you think something like this would ever pick up in the rest of South Africa? Well, that's our mission and that's what we're trying to do. So we spend a lot of time working at policy level and we have partnerships within the Department of Health, both nationally and provincially. We're trying to affect um, codes of conduct within obstetric services. We're trying to impact the ways in which um, undergraduate medical students and social workers and nurses are trained. So we're hoping that if we embed in a, in a range of different programs and processes, that we will eventually have the impact that we need to have. But, but ultimately, what we would ideally want is, is for National Department of, of Health to to take on the realization that if if one in three or more women have a mental health problem around pregnancy, this is an epidemic and it requires a, a serious and considered response, whereby um, the resources are plugged into where women are coming anywhere, um, and just just like the HIV epidemic was responded to with with the necessary resources. We certainly believe that this this is an epidemic with transgenerational impact, with economic impact, with social impact, that and it requires a meaningful input of, of, of resources and so that the policy can be translated into into meaningful implementation. Well, you seem to be doing a, a marvellous job here in the Western Cape and hopefully this, as I mentioned, hopefully this will take off around the country and we'll see a lot more of these projects developing and helping all these women that really desperately need the service. Thanks, Karen. I, we, we, we're working towards it. We're passionate about it. We've got an incredible team. We, um, yeah, I'm fortunate enough to be working with people with a, with a range of different skills that all complement each other. And it's very exciting work. We're very privileged to be doing to be doing what we're doing. I'm going to give out the website in a moment if people want to have a look, especially at the Circles of Support. It's right there on the front page. But just to let them know that you are, have a fundraising drive underway at the moment. You're trying to raise a million rand over three years So for the Hanover Park facility. So if people are wanting to get involved, they'll find all of how to do that on the website. Thank you. That's great. And just to say that all giving is is tax efficient. That's and we, always we, helpful to know. Through the university issue tax um, certificates. And yeah. it sounds like a very worthwhile cause to get involved with and something I think you will, you can only see it growing from, from the input that we as the public and your donors will give you. Um, you know, it's one of those projects that you will only see growing from, from year to year. So it's wonderful to, to see something like that. Thanks. Thanks. We hope to continue. Well, I wish you much success with that, and thank you very much indeed for joining me on the show this evening. Thanks, Karen. Take good care. Good night. Dr. Simone Honigman is the Director of the Perinatal Mental Health Project, and for more information, you can have a look at the website, but take a look at the section on the front page called Circles of Support. They really do need our support, so have a look at that, see if there's any way that you can help. And the website is pmhp.za.org. Health Matters with Karen Key. 
And now what all you new parents or prospective parents have been waiting for, Sister Anne Richardson, and she's a specialist nurse practitioner, author and parent coach. And she joins me now to chat about sleep solutions, not just for you, but for your baby. Well, actually, you know, if the baby sleeps, it's a solution for you too. So everybody gets the, you know, the good end of it. So we're all going to be sleeping, hopefully. Sister Richardson, good evening. Welcome to the show. Yes, hello, Corin. Thank you. This is one of those topics I think that every new parent just wants to talk about all the time because that baby just isn't sleeping. Yes, absolutely. You know, sleep in the um, first year of life is definitely the holy grail. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I don't know who actually coined that that, um, that uh, phrase about sleeping like um, baby. babies do. Oh, no. Because babies actually don't sleep. No, I, I know. Trust me, I've lived through it. I know exactly. And I wish I'd known about you then, but that's too long ago now. So I'll rem- I'll just keep that information in my head for one day when they're grandchildren. I shall remember this. Yes. But it's, it's one of those things. And it actually just your whole life just almost comes to a standstill because you just don't get enough sleep. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, they also do say that um, sleep deprivation is the strongest form of torture. Yes. And I think, I think really that, that parents need to just adjust their expectations about what parenthood is all about. And I think once they can get that right, then the sleeplessness isn't as bad. Now, you talk about, I was looking at your website, and you have a book called Baby Sense, but you talk about establishing healthy sleeping habits. How do you get the sort of two, three-week, four-week, six-month-old baby into a healthy sleeping habit when the baby just literally has a mind of its own about when it's going to sleep or not? Yeah, well, that is exactly what I was saying about um, expectations, is that I, I have so many moms who come to me and say, I want my baby to be in this strict routine from day one. And I really think it's important that new parents really know that for the first three months of baby's life, they really battle to sort of cope with their world. They don't have any filtering mechanism. So it's really up to the parents to modulate that baby's world to be as womb-like as kind of possible. And that old adage about, oh, the baby's going to fit in with me, really doesn't (laughs) hold court in the first three months of life. No. One one has to adjust your life. And little babies really can't cope with a lot of awake time. And and sleep all the time really is driven by the amount of awake time that baby can actually handle. And that's quite a strange concept to kind of get your head round, that it's actually the awake time that drives sleep. And babies who are actually awake for too long and who are tired and in sensory overload really battle to switch off and then have decent quality sleep. So you've got this whole vicious colic cycle of a fractious baby who won't sleep and frazzled parents who are trying everything to try and get the baby to sleep. And of course, the baby hasn't read any books. Only the parents have. And as the, the child gets a little older, you know, when it gets to almost a year or so, and so you're still having problems sleeping, possibly we should look at how we are approaching sleep time. You know, if you sort of have the child all hyper and hyped up and dashing about and doing all sorts of wild things, the child isn't going to suddenly just lie down and go to sleep. Absolutely not. And what, what we know definitely happens to one's brain is if you are tired and overladen, I mean, you know, just think about um, working late on, you know, projects or whatever, you your body's really tired and you get into bed and you just cannot switch off. And the same thing happens to little ones. And of course, toddlers then start swinging from the chandeliers and running all over the place. And then parents think, oh, little Johnny isn't tired. So they allow the child to sort of have the second wind and remain in this frenzied hormonal state full of adrenaline and cortisone. 
and things to keep them wired and, you know, up and, and then they just cannot go to sleep unless they're driven in cars and, and, and rocked and sung to and bounced on balls and all those things that parents get caught up in. What about the actual area where you're putting the child to sleep? How important is that? Well, definitely in the first three months to try and keep it as womb-like as possible, particularly when the baby has been awake for about an hour. That by that sort of 45 minutes to 60 minute period of time, they've really had it and they need to be wrapped up and rocked and held. And that's why in your arms is the best place for little babies to be because they feel contained, they feel safe, it's warm, it's dark, it's the you know, body temperature's normal. And that's where babies want to be. And you cannot spoil a newborn baby by holding it and rocking and having the baby close to you. And as they're getting older now, we've got to sort of say three months. Should we be expecting them to be a little more adept at sleeping at that point? Well, certainly more settled. Their little brains settle, their tummies settle, and everything kind of clicks in, which is why we always say that one should actually be pregnant for for 12 months, not (laughs) nine months, because babies aren't really ready to be born in that first three months because they're so needy and they're so fragile. But definitely, and that's why colic miraculously disappears at the age of round about three months, is because everything kicks in. And that's when babies start to really have a good core sleep from bedtime. And bedtime can be anything from sort of half past five in the afternoon till about eight o'clock. So it's a very variable time depending on baby. But once they go down for that first sleep, that's the core sleep. And I really wouldn't recommend that parents wake babies up at 10 o'clock when they go to bed, just to sort of give them that last dream feed, as we call it, in the hope that they'll then sleep through. It doesn't work. They still will wake up for that feed after about six hours. They'd rather go to bed early. Yes. Now, you probably need to at that point because you probably haven't been sleeping for the past three months. But what about those children that wake up constantly during the night and sort of want you to come in there, even as they're getting older? I mean, one, two years old. I mean, what do you do about that? Yeah. And there again, it goes back to what is the expectation? What is age appropriate for your child? If you're expecting your six-week-old to sleep for 10 to 12 hours at night, that's an inappropriate expectation. We do get the odd dream child that does that, and in which case, just sort of don't tell anyone about it. No, because they won't like you very much. Yeah. No. Um, Generally, we can expect a baby to go for about a 10 to 12-hour stretch only from the age of about six or seven months. When when their sort of feeding status is absolutely sound, they're on solid food, you've ruled out hunger. And that's the first thing. Obviously, the very first thing is to rule out illness. Obviously, an ill baby may not sleep. And then one has to deal with that. The second thing is to rule out hunger and to feed if it's an age-appropriate time. So newborns need frequent feeding. As they get older, they can start lasting for slightly longer stretches. But up until six months, you can still expect some sort of night feeding. Thereafter, we can expect a child to sleep through. And so many parents in the toddler years are still very anxious about their toddlers being hungry at night. And we know that that feeding and sleep in the toddler years is not related unless we, we have an ill child. So very often parents are then up all night giving their little toddlers bottles of milk because, of course, it's just so divine. The toddler wakes up, it's warm, it's sweet, it's dark, it's a bit of interaction with mom and dad, so if it's available, why not take it? And then they don't eat during the day so then because they've had calories all night long. 
and then the parents worry that they're hungry, so they're scared about not offering the milk at night, and it's just this dreadful, awful, vicious cycle that just keeps going. I always like to say that little ones are a lot cleverer than we give them credit for. Completely. Absolutely. You cannot discount their powers of cognizance. Absolutely. Now, the one, the nice thing, just for those out there thinking, gosh, I'd really need some more help, you've got a fabulous book called Sleep Sense. Yes, yes. And, you know, that is really written after many, many years of on-the-ground slog with mums and dads in my uh, very own practice and and just realising what works, what doesn't work, and, and just to try and give really sensible tips towards healthy sleep habits. Now, is the best way to get hold of that via the website toddlersense.co.za? Can they get it at any of the um, big bookstores? Or, or? babysense, babysense.co.za has okay. an online shop and they can oh, right. order it on, online. So babysense is where they would actually be able to get hold of the book. Correct. Yes. Now, the exciting thing is that you're part of the 2014 Johnson's Baby Sense Seminars. It's the 11th year they've been running now. Yes, yes, absolutely. We started, my uh, co-author and um, me, uh, we actually started these, well, at that stage, they were really just sort of mother's groups where we just wanted to just go and just share our wisdom. Just say, guys, give this a go. It really works. Try it. And they've just grown over the years. And, and not a year goes by where I just don't thrill and just love standing up there and just sharing some wisdom with sense in a very non-judgmental way. So do you, do, there's some amazing speakers and topics that are going to be dealt with here, and it's all. I'll give the dates and places. The, the Durban one, unfortunately, has already happened. That was on the 16th of August. But there's one coming up in Port Elizabeth on the 23rd of August, in Johannesburg on the 6th of September, and Cape Town on the 13th of September. Are there still places available for all the yes, others? Yes, definitely. And um, tickets can be booked on at um, uh, babysense.co.com. Uh, we have an online link to, to um, you know, book tickets. Oh, good. Do you want to just tell the listeners quickly what, what they can expect if they came along to one of the seminars? Yes, Who's going sure. to be on? We've, we've actually got two seminars running every day. We have a pregnancy seminar where we have birthing experts, and I'm going to be talking about newborn basics, which is really just in the first six weeks of life, just to take parents through how to deal with cradle cap and nappy rash and cleaning your baby's cord and all those real nitty-gritty things that happen in the first six weeks. And then in the afternoon, in the afternoon we have pregnancy. Morning we have um, a doctor talking about just your baby's health. Um, I will talk about sleep secrets for in the first year of life. Megan Fora will be talking about um, healthy stimulation of your baby. And um, we've got a fabulous panel open to answer everybody's questions for them. So it's anything you ever want to know, yes. you can find out at one of these seminars. Yes. And gosh, as I said, it's in its 11th year, so it's obviously one of those things that hopefully we'll see going on for a long, long time into the future. Well, yes, hopefully. And, and you know, it's just so wonderful. I'm so blessed because every day I see a whole new generation beginning. And, and it's just so rewarding to see these little children grow from their little first newborn visit right the way until I'm doing their sort of university vaccination. Gosh. That's how long I, I've been around. And it's, it's, just, it's just rewarding, and I learn from my little patients every single day. 
Well, it's a wonderful thing. And I think if you are either have just had a baby or you are about to, I, this is something I don't think if you're able to get to them that you should be missing. Definitely something to go and do. Sister Richardson, thank you very much indeed for joining us and good luck with the rest of the seminars. Thank you so much. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Sister Anne Richardson is a specialist nurse practitioner, author and parent coach. And for more information on her books and what she does, you can take a look at www.babysense.co.za. And just a reminder, there are still three more Baby Sense seminars coming up. Port Elizabeth on the 23rd of August, Johannesburg on the 6th of September and Cape Town on the 13th of September. If you'd like to book, you can call the contact centre on 021-671-3245. You can email seminars at babysense.co.za or Sister Richardson says there is a link on the website. So go to babysense.co.za and you'll be able to find the link there. Well, that's it for Health Matters for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after nine with Time to Travel. But on the Time to Travel show next week, I will be speaking with our very own Stephen Kirker, who's off to do the Isi Mangalisa four-day mountain bike trail. Stephen, are you going to come back in one piece? I'm. That's the intention. I've promised you I'll be back in one piece, and my wife is even more interested in my well-being as well. So, yes, looking forward to, to uh, reporting back on that. I fly out very, very early tomorrow morning, so I'm not going to be getting all that much sleep tonight. And I just wondered if I should have you on the health show next week or the travel show. <laughs> we could actually discuss well, well, maybe we we'll, we'll, we'll see what my experiences are like <laughs> next week and possibly pencil that in well when i look to see what you're going to be doing on this four-day mountain bike trail through the isimangalisa wetland i thought to myself i would actually be admitted to hospital before i even left i have to be honest with you my sister sent me a list she does these things all the time and uh, you should see the list of uh, first aid and other goodies that she says are essential to take with so yes maybe i should be well, good luck. I wish you all the best. Have a fabulous time, and I look forward to chatting with you about this next week, hopefully on the travel show. Excellent, Corin. Thanks, Stephen. Good night. Good night. And Corin, of course, uh, back again with Time to Travel tomorrow evening as uh, well. Anyway, I'm with you until midnight. Just go on 10 o'clock at SAFM's nighttime uh, music. Before we get into that, of course, it is news time. <laughs>